Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Centennial Podcast. And tonight, we have some topics lined up, especially with how the season started off here for the Senators. So we're going to talk about uh, how things are through the four-game mark. We're going to talk a little bit about coaching staff and some decisions that have been made lately that people may or may not be thrilled with. Timmy, Timmy, he might return for Saturday's game against the Jets. Uh, We're going to talk about our predictions for the upcoming road trip the Suns will be on. And then we're going to talk about Dubois because he's sprouted up again today. So (laughs) we're going to get right down to all of that. But uh, we'll kick it off here with how the Senators have played through four games. And I'm going to let other Matt take this one because I know he's he's just been dying to say something on this. So just shoot. Well, I mean, uh, the first game was really good. <laughs> they, I, like that was I, I haven't been that excited for a Sens game in probably two years. Um, Honestly, yeah. Yeah, like I, yeah at least two years. Um, and it's really unfortunate because I, you know, I love this team, but at the same time, you know, there was nothing to really cheer for last year other than a top pick or two top picks. And we would be raw or uh, schedule watching for the sharks. But, um, the second game against the Leafs, we didn't look as great obviously, but we still hung in there. Uh, Matt Murray played exceptional, um, you know, had over 40 shots and we still hung around against uh, Toronto and, you know, all, all things considered, it was good. But after that, there was something that just didn't feel right. You know, obviously after the first game, Christian Milanen came out of the lineup and uh, that meant uh, Mike Riley came into the lineup, which uh, all you know, Mike Riley has looked pretty solid uh, this this season so far. Um, Must feel but, weird to say that, eh? <laughs> uh, you know what? Like, I mean, Mike Riley's a good skater. He's a solid puck mover. You know, uh, I don't have a lot against the guy. He's a young person. Um, He's got a he's got a lot of legs, so he like he'll be welcomed on the roster when it comes to um, being young, agile, and moving the puck well. But you know, Christian Wolanin got one game, and it was a win. They won that game, and then he came out of the lineup. Uh, I I'm sure you guys watched that game. I don't remember seeing anything that really, you know led yeah. me to believe that he needed to come out. No, he, he had a couple of, of giveaways um, according to the stat sheet and uh, he wasn't a great possession player that game. Uh, I mean, I don't completely blame him. There's no preseason this year. So it's it's not like you can, you know, have four or five games that don't mean anything where you can just have the lineup, you know, have games where you lose like 8-3 or something just because you're trying different things out. So I kind of get it where DJ Smith's trying to pull a guy like Willannon out. Okay, he didn't do 100% like how I thought he would, you know, because in that last scrimmage, like the team scrimmage before the season started, didn't he have like a hat trick? Yeah, yeah, he had he a hat trick. He had two goals and then they played him in that overtime period or whatever, right? So, uh, but anyway, with, with Mike Riley in now, um, I, I wasn't able to watch most of Thursday night's game, 
but uh, he Mike Riley was our second best defenseman. Yeah, and and it so. looks like the analytics are showing that. Like it looks <laughs> yeah. like he had a, a strong possession game anyway. Um, so I mean, good for him. I I don't think he'll be a mainstay on this roster after this season. He's not even twenty eight yet, but. I, I feel like some team will pick him up as like a depth top six player. He'll kind of be like a Chris Weidman esque player. Yeah, you know? he's definitely one of those that that you could flip somewhere that is looking for a defenseman. And apparently Pittsburgh is doing that. Yeah. Um. And he he's a guy that would probably fit the bill. I don't but, know. I think uh, we could let uh, Pittsburgh take a you know a, a great Stanley Cup winner. Actually, two two Stanley Cup winners. We can package Paquette and Coburn, and Pittsburgh can have two Stanley Cup ring players. Yeah, and for they will have all the success in the world, and I'm sure Crosby will be thrilled to have two stud players like them on their roster. Well, uh, yeah, and then the third game, they dominated <laughs> the Jets. They dominated the Jets. Oh, yeah. Oh, that Galchenyuk shot. It it wasn't close. And then, and then, I mean, the first goal, you know, it was a flutterer from, from, uh, from the point, and then it was tipped. Also, it was, it looked uh, a little high, but nobody like looked at it. Um, which, you know what, isn't the end of the world. Uh, second goal fine it is what it is but then you have you know two players in as you just said Braden Coburn and and Cedric Paquette uh defending a six on five uh you know hill essentially to win the game and they tie the game and and Braden Coburn is literally standing in front of Matt Murray I think it went in off of him, did it not? Well, I, I, that's even worse. And then, and then, do we want to even like like the OT uh, people that are like that played? I I mean, did, did Drake Batherson and Josh Norris not just not exist? No, apparently not. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, in fairness, they both were on the ice for the OT. They just weren't on when we lost the OT. But I mean they 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 were on and they got played before Anisimov. No, I think Batherson was on at the same time as Anisimov, no? He came on like he was on first, but Yeah. Yeah, it was like Batherson like missed that chance to win it like right at the end. And then it like kind of went around and then they took it to the other end and scored. Well and the thing is is like why are you starting like OT with two players that have never played together in Kachuk and Dodonov? Yeah, that, that's true. That was interesting. Eh? I, I assumed it would be. I think I honestly think it was just because Dodonov. Or wow, sorry. I I know like it's supposed to be Dodonov, but ever since I've watched that two BC uh, <laughs> video where he yells at Dadnov for scoring on him in like the Cup final or something, I gotta say <laughs> Dadnov. Sorry, man, it's ingrained in me. But um, yeah, I think it's because they want to get Dadnov going. Like he he's obviously a fast player, and I feel like he's kind of been um. Well, I guess Sean Simpson said it well on TSN 1200. He's almost been shy. It looks like he's not really sure of how he fits into his line yet. And I don't know if it's just because he's not playing with uh, Barkov and Huberdo anymore. He's playing with Stepan. But, uh, Which is a like significant it, downgrade. Whoa, don't talk about <laughs> our, our boy Stepan like that. Our, our stepdad. <laughs> yeah, um, 
No, but I, I I agree. It's definitely a drop in talent, right? Yeah. Um, even I think playing Dadnov with like Nick Paul would be interesting, but I know that third line of Tierney, Paul, and and Connor Brown has been quite good. It sounds like uh, in the most recent practice, uh, Nick Paul did get uh, get brought up, um, just because they weren't sure if Stutzla was going to be in. But uh, you know, if you would let me, going to the fourth game, it was a complete a complete shit show. So uh, I I'm just so baffled. By, I, I feel like we're just rolling right into DJ Smith. So you guys can take your thoughts about four games, and then we can hit DJ Smith if you want, or sure. we can just do it right. Sure, now. yeah. Because <laughs> there's a few things that that I yep, assume we absolutely. both want to touch on. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Matt, did you want to go first? Or? No, no, you take it because because uh, I got some other stuff to say. So you go for it. Okay. Well, uh, there's a couple storylines I want to highlight for the f- through the first four games. I think uh, other Matt's done a good job of summarizing kind of the highs and the lows, as it were. You know, we had a great game against Toronto to win the opener, which was fantastic. Uh, we had a really good game a- against Winnipeg, but didn't couldn't close it out. Uh, and then the other two games, we've pretty much been dominated. The scoreline in that second game against Toronto was a lot kinder than it should have been. I think we ended up losing that game 3-2, uh, you know, and we only had the second because of a glorious, incredible eye coordination goal from Tim Stutzel for his first. So that was Dirty. that was, that that was, was a highlight. Um, but, like, we got absolutely windmill dunked on in shots that game. Like, Toronto outshot us, like, they doubled our shots. Like, I think it ended up being 40-20 to 20 at the end of the game. So, like, despite it being 3-2 and looking like we were in it, like, we like we were absolutely out of that game for like 50 minutes so i think i I guess the way you would say it then is like this the Suns have played really well in two games and really poorly in two games which is honestly kind of like i i think i expect where i sort of expected us to be and where most people expected us to be uh i think in the standings right now you know we're we're Relax. beneath Vancouver. So we're last in the division, but we're beneath Vancouver who've played two more games and are barely ahead of us. Yeah. So I, I think, think they're yeah. They're only a four um, point, I believe. So yeah, I mean you you win some, you lose some, some ups and downs to start the season for sure. <laughs> uh some positives to highlight. Those jerseys look fire. Oh, oh my yeah, god. They look so good. They look so good. Like literally every game my wife the and I would sit down and rewatch and we're just like, my god. God, those jerseys look good. Like I said <laughs> it in the first game, the second game, the third game, and the fourth game. I said it out loud. I was just like, my God, <laughs> how did we play in anything other than this for like a decade? Yeah, like, I know. For it's so, so long, we played with those vastly inferior jerseys. Like <laughs> even when we're just getting, you know, absolutely dummied by the Leafs in game two or, you know, just totally, you know, styled on by the Jets in game four. I was just like, Man, we look good. <laughs> that's uh, the that's drip, a positive. though. Oh, <laughs> that's a positive for sure. Another positive, Nikita Zaitsev. Oh my god, I know what the hell is actually good. I mean, uh, you know, this is a this is you know a sign that you know. First of all, it's early days, so I mean, lots of wacky things like this always happen. But I mean, it is never too late for a player to like start doing things the right way. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what's happening with Zaitsev, but there's not necessarily any reason to believe why he can't just be better this year. I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, 
And, but just to, to read it, four games played, he's got five assists, uh, so five points. Uh, he's a plus five. Uh, and he, like in terms of the eye test, like he has looked pretty good yeah, he's on looked just really about every good. shift. He has looked like we have, you know, those times with that excellent line, that third line of Tierney, Connor Brown, and Nick Paul is out there with Zaitsev. I'm like, man, this isn't going to do something this shift. This is, which this is seems, kind of fire. <laughs> which seems like bizarre. Like you wouldn't have thought that at the start of the season. You'd be like, okay, like a third line. I mean, we know that like a lot of the guys in that third line are good two-way players, but you know, and Zaitsev has, has always had moments, but you know, he's always been a liability in his own end. But this year he hasn't looked quite so shabby in his own end. He's been really driving offense when he has been on the ice. And uh, it's been really good to see. And I don't know if it's going to continue. Who knows? Um, but you know, I mean, Zaitsev is going to be on the team for a while. That's not a contract that we're going to be able to move easily. Okay. Um, hear me so, oh, oh. so I, I, so I think <laughs> that, you know, we should take comfort in the fact that like he can put a good string of games together from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's been really excellent with Shabbat. So, and he's been really excellent or, well, I, you know, uh, I test wise really excellent away from Shabbat too. Um, he's been playing with uh, Mike Riley. You know they were our best pairing yesterday, like not even close. Um, and that that makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing I wanted to add on that third line, which I, I don't think a lot of people realize. So let's just put this in perspective. So Nick Paul through four games, he has two points. Tyranny has three points through four games. And Connor Brown also has three points through four games. So that alone for a third line is great. That's great production for them. Now, you look at their takeaways to giveaways, and you just see how defensively responsible that line's been. Connor Brown has six takeaways and only one giveaway in those four games. Uh, with Tyranny, it's closer. He has three takeaways, only two giveaways. You look at Nick Paul, five takeaways, no giveaways. So they're constantly stealing the puck off of other teams. Uh, players and not giving it up or barely giving it up right and then when you look at their starts they're starting almost 70 percent of their shifts in the defensive end and they're still all producing that is insane like that means that most of their shifts they're winning draws or at least regaining the puck through a takeaway in the defensive end they're breaking it out and they're scoring it off the rush or scoring it by starting in the defensive end getting possession going into the neutral zone, the offensive zone, staying in possession of the puck, and then generating goals just by doing that. So, like, they're transitioning quite well, and that's really nice to see. It's, so, it's pretty much the only line that I've seen the Senators be able to set up a cycle with on fi- at 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, I, our, you know, our ostensibly our top two lines, uh, you know, a lot of young players on those lines, uh, which is great. Like they, they've looked good in flashes, but I mean, like they're not, they're not really driving play when they're on the ice. It's really so, only been at five uh, on five. That is to say. Well, okay. So I guess I'm pretty sure with Brady Kachuk, numbers have actually uh, would disagree with that. If yeah, I remember so, well, correctly, like they've been yeah. fire. Okay, so Norris and Batherson through the last couple games, and I'm assuming Brady Kachuk as well, their their like possession numbers and stuff have dropped. So their analytics after like the first couple games aren't as strong as as uh, uh, sorry, the, yeah, weren't as strong as they were after the first two games. 
Uh, but like Kachuk, if you look at his possession numbers, and Corsi's kind of like the a more common analytic now. But for those who don't understand, uh, basically, if someone has a Corsi four percentage that's above fifty percent, that means that while they're on the ice, their team is controlling the puck um, over fifty percent of the time. And if it's under fifty, well, then that's not as good because they're controlling it less than the opposition. So Brady Kachuk through four games. His Corsi 4 is at a, a whopping 61.8%. That is Holy. really high. <laughs> really high. So that's that's very good. Uh, the only problem is that even strength, um, that that top line hasn't been great defensively, uh, but but offensively, they've been quite good. So it, uh, they're young players. It, it'll take some time to, to kind of you know smooth out that defensive side of their game. Um, now with a player like Norris, he's kind of advertised as being one of those two-way centers. So hopefully, you know, with some time, he can do that um, and and kind of grow his defensive game to help out that line a little more. And I mean, Brady Kachuk and, and Drake Batherson, I'm sure. Same thing with them. They have great chemistry. I don't see any reason to break them up. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's what I'll say on those two. Now to continue my rant, what you guys kind of already addressed with Cedric Paquette. Oh, guys, I don't know what to say about this, but but this guy has started most of his shifts in the offensive zone. Cedric Paquette, the guy who had all of 18 points last season in 61 guy years. also, I'm just saying, has never had more than 19 points. Yeah. He, he, so This guy is playing more. <laughs> oh, my God. But but to to put it even in more perspective, so I just told you how Brady Kachuk was at about a Corsi four of about sixty two percent. So Pocket is at twenty six point four percent, which means the other team is controlling the puck about seventy five percent of the time that he is on the ice five on five. So pathetic, <laughs> folks. So you, you hate yeah, to yeah, you really do hate to see it, but it do be like that apparently. Um, <laughs> So the Senators really need to just stop. And especially when you look at so him and Austin Watson. Now, Austin Watson, I think, has been okay so far. Like, there's been a couple times where I'm like, ah, come on, dude. But there's also been times where I'm like, okay, that was like a good play. Or like, he's trying to generate some offense. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that he's not trying to be like every other vet, it seems, on this team. And just playing a grinding game. He, he is trying to, so when he's on the ice, it does seem like he cares about trying to chip in offensively, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I but, would say uh, I, Watson has absolutely uh, not been the worst of like the many veterans we acquired this offseason, uh, which isn't exactly a glowing compliment, but I mean, like he, like, he has been fine, and that's pretty much like the most that we expected out of him so that that's okay. And he went bar down against the Leafs in the, in the that w- that was opener, a shot. so like that hats off to him because that'll you know, get him a couple games more yeah and i'm okay with that i mean like there are far there are far bigger people to pile on in these through these first four games which i'm sure we're about to do in a moment um but you know then him and he's yeah kind of okay well you guys will love this then so i just told you that stat now what if i told you that austin watson and cedric pocket are getting more offensive zone starts than Evgeny dadnov I would believe it. <laughs> Dadnoff <laughs> has started 61% of his shifts in the defensive end. A guy who you want to use as a go-to either playmaker or scorer, they did replace Duclair with him. And 
the coach is deploying him mostly in the defensive zone to start his shifts. Like, I just... Uh, it, it frustrates me because a lot of people I have seen are like, oh, why'd we sign Dadnov? And they're kind of like annoyed. It's like, hey, we did not give up an asset for this player. At worst, Dadanov is a second-line winger. At worst, I would say. And I, I can't believe people are already piling on this guy when I feel like he hasn't really been given... Like, there's been some whiffs on the power play. We all saw that. But he hasn't been given a great chance 5-on-5 to produce. He's playing with Derek Stepan, which, again, we already talked about Stepan, but, you know, no offense to to him. But uh, he's not an offensive guru, right? They brought him in really as a mentor player. And so Stepan, I think, needs a center who, first of all, can keep up with him because he's fast for a guy who's in his 30s. And... uh, yeah, it, it just seems like the pace isn't there. And especially especially with Stutzla out, you can tell there's a lack of speed there. So I think when Stutzla comes back, hopefully Saturday Saturday night's game, um, that'll help bring some speed back to the game that Dadnoff can play. But I think with Stepan in that slot, it's just not there. Yeah, and I think Dadonov has... He's been so close to scoring like three or four times. And I mean, like they were, like they weren't like open net, like all the time in the world to set up either. I mean, like, they were, you know, they were scrambles in front of the net or they were, you know, uh, like a bounce off. And it's like, you know, you could say that maybe he should be burying some of those, but I think, like, he, you know, he's been really close and he's been getting in the right areas. Uh, I'm not, I, for one, I'm not worried that uh, wh- about whether he's going to be able to put it together. I think it's going to take, it's going to take a minute, but he's doing all the right things. Um, so I think they're, they're going to start going in for him. I'm not too he- worried. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm just looking at the Friday morning practice lines that uh, that happened uh, this morning, and I'm seeing that Dodonov has been moved from the second line uh, down to the third line. With uh, who? Because I was I was at work, so I wasn't able to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Chris Tierney and Connor Brown have been moved up to the second line to play with Stutzla. Nick Paul, who has arguably been one of our best forwards, period, is still on the third line with Dodonov and, oh my goodness, a guy who has just scratched Anisimov. Oh, God. No, but wait, wait, wait. hold up. But I think Anisimov was a placeholder because Stepan didn't participate in practice today because he was having a maintenance day. So I think we're okay. I think Anisimov was just a filler. (laughs) So I think that'll be okay. I hope. However, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just keep the tyranny line together, move white up onto the second line and keep the dawn off? Uh, like, let's see what, uh, God, I'm, 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 I get it. I'm, yeah. I'm getting ready to go boys. Oh, no. I mean, oh, no. slow him down, slow him down. <laughs> frankly, um, moving on to, to DJ Smith's, uh, line combinations and usages. Uh, you spoke perfectly about, uh, Cedric Paquette, the guy's dead weight. Um, damn, he, tell us how you really feel. Uh, I'm planning on it. I, I, you know, <laughs> oh, you have geez. Cedric Paquette, uh, a guy who was put out on the second, uh, uh, as, as a player to kill the, uh, kill the game essentially against the Winnipeg Jets. Keep that lead. Um, I, I shit you not. I remember watching it. He stood there and moved as if he was a decrepit grandmother. I was thinking to myself, <laughs> oh my God. Are, you, are you serious? Like, like you, you're 
bent over like you can't move. He also took off Nick Paul off the line of uh, Tierney and Connor Brown to put Cedric Paquette there. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I just heard Matt say that, you know, the Tierney Brown Paul line is one of the most defensively reliable lines. Cedric Paquette statistically advanced stats tells us he's trash. The eye, uh, the eye test tells us he's trash, but, but, but Colin white has, you know, one game to, uh, you know, make his name and then gets taken out of the lineup, gets to come back in because of an injury. Um, and then, or uh, because of Anisimov being hurt. And then, is uh, I don't know about you, but I watched him. He was on for the first goal yesterday, and I was like, oh yeah, now he's going to come out, but Paquette's going to stay in. Like, uh, I just, like, like, Smith has said, you know, everybody's going to, uh, to get in uh, because of hard work and, like, showing they want to be there. Uh, you know, White isn't in the lineup because uh, every center above him had a better camp. Uh, are you kidding me? Tierney and Stepan showed up on the last day. Uh, I mean, Peck, Paquette is a, it, he, like, are you saying, Galchenyuk has more points than Paquette, and he's coming out of the lineup. Yeah, Galchenyuk has looked pretty good in what I've Galchenyuk seen. Galchenyuk yesterday was like, he, you know, he had a bad uh, few shifts and then gets stapled to the fourth line. Whereas, you know, Paquette gets to go hold a late lead it, two games ago. What's kind of irked me, and it, it's it's been said elsewhere, but uh, to bring it here as well, um, really this season is kind of a free pass for the Senators. Like if Try you think everything. about it, yeah. Like if you think about it, there's no fans attending your games, so Melnick's not trying to sell tickets. I mean, he was. We can laugh about that. He, he was <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, making a plan to sell six thousand tickets. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> they don't have to sell tickets to anyone. All they have to do is ice a team that has some good young players on it. Senators aren't asking to make the playoffs. I know the players want to make the playoffs, and that's totally fine. If they want to make the playoffs, they can try and do that and go for it. But you're not going to be making the playoffs with guys like... Well, okay, I say that. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning just won the Stanley Cup with these guys on the roster. But but in this roster, <laughs> Paquette and Coburn are not bringing you to the playoffs. Right? No. We can all agree on that, everyone here? Yeah? We're all yeah. in agreement? Okay, so on your defensive core, why... When you look at when they swapped out Riley and Willannon, why is it that they can't swap Coburn out for Willannon? And for me, it's because DJ Smith sees Coburn as being this big defensive hitter, and you can't have him come out of the lineup for a guy like Willannon, who's a puck transitioner offensive guy, which to me makes no sense because you want to have your best puck transitioners on the ice as much as possible. And that benefits Shabbat, which benefits the team because he's not being overplayed every game. So then you could have a left side of Shabbat, Willan, and Riley, which, like we talked about earlier, Riley's actually been okay so far. At least analytically speaking, he's been good. And uh, so 
have them three on your left side, at least they move the puck. And then on your right side, I don't understand why, like, honestly, Good Branson's kind of outperformed what I thought he would. I'm not saying he's been fantastic, but he's been all right. And I think that's a, a higher bar than I set for him. But like Josh Brown, he, he was okay. I think he looked good through the first two games. The last two games, not as much so. So I'm glad that the coaches said he wants to put uh, Zub in because I think Zub 100% deserves a shot. And no, not only is he getting a shot, from what I heard, he did a couple rotations with Shabbat and warm-up. I could be wrong. Or practice. Yeah, I, did, I saw that. Okay, so he didn't, like, could Branson, for the most part, took most uh, pairing slots with, with Shabbat, but I heard that Zub did get a couple runs in. So if I'm wrong on that, my bad. But I'm pretty sure it's what I heard. Anyway. But if Zub plays with Shabbat, I think that's huge. I think that'll be very interesting to see how that performs. Zaitsev's been a wonder. Like, he's been a treat this season. I don't know what change in his game, whether he's in a better mindset, what he did over the summer to work out and stay prepped for the season. But he's come in looking quite good, and he's been exceptional. So, I don't know. It's I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, when you look at our forward core, we have Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, who are young. Who Schuessler, also, by the way, played less than three minutes in the first period yesterday. Yeah, actually, and, Paquette played more than Batherson, so, yeah. Yes. Once again. <laughs> and that's five at f- five on five. That's yeah, not including again, special teams. What the hell? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, sorry, and, and going back to what I said, so you have Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, White, who are your five young players, and White's been in and out of the lineup, so, I mean, he's borderline. You have Paul... And Galchenyuk, who are kind of like their mid-20s. So it's like, okay, Shabbat's a younger guy. The rest of your defensive core, the rest of your forwards are all on like, I don't know, the the older side of 30, really. <laughs> and I mean, Danov is fine. Like, they brought him in to be a guy, like I said earlier, who can be a scoring threat. So that's fine. Tierney and Connor Brown, totally fine. They're also mid-20 guys. They're fine. But when you're looking at young guns, it's like, why do we still have... Anisimov, Pocket, Watson, who again, Watson's been okay, but still Watson. Uh, and then on your back end, you have Good Branson, Coburn. Like, get some younger players in there. Like I said, you have a free pass this season to just kind of try things out. Like, you're not trying to be a Stanley Cup winner this season. So, why are you trying to aim to be like this playoff contender? Just put White in the lineup, put Logan Brown in the lineup, see how he performs in the top six. Yeah, I don't know. Just like put Grandstrom in. Why? Like, it and, just blows my mind. And like, just one last point. Actually, I think I I I have several, but I'll bring it down. Um, you're telling me that a line of Austin Watson, uh, Colin White, and Cedric Paquette is going to be better than a line of Colin White, Alex Galchenyuk, and Philip Slapic. There's not a world that that the the first line is better than the latter. Um, I, I don't understand what his his like obsession is with Cedric Paquette. Even Anisimov, to an extent, hasn't been as bad as Paquette. So so why is this guy getting such a free pass when and then Willannon? and uh, White get are, are on this game-to-game basis. Even Coburn has been pretty bad, and he's just like, you know, it's fine for him to stay in the lineup. I, 
I will say it's a smaller sample size, but Anisimov is the only center with above 50% at the face-off circle. Yeah, our face-offs have been terrible. Yeah, Yeah, they've just been so bad. It's like, if it it wasn't for the fact that Anisimov got burned uh, on that OT winner uh, when Winnipeg beat us in Game 3, I would say he, like, has been, like, okay, but that doesn't mean that, like, I want him to be playing above Colin White, because I don't. Because, like, the thing is, like, What's the point? Like Anisimov, his, his contract expires this year. It's like, you know, Whereas Colin ca- White does not. Best case scenario, like we can flip him at the deadline. Worst case scenario, he walks, and which, like, whatever, it doesn't really That's matter. But good. Um, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like Colin White's going to be here for a while. It's like, why are we bothering to pump the tires of a dude who, like, is not a part of the future of this team when White could be playing? Uh, I, I, like, I mean, like, listen, like White has not looked fantastic but he's not being put in a position to succeed either and it's like if that's what that's one weird thing about hockey is because it's so segmented you know you can only have five players on the ice at a time and you know they're always being broken up and chopped and changed and stuff you know deployment does really matter you know you can't uh you know guys don't stay on the ice for the whole game and they don't get to play with everyone at once so it's it really matters who you get paired with and you get you can get uh pigeonholed really easily uh, by the coach if they decide to just you know bury you in third or fourth line as as like an offensive player um it just it just sets you up to for confirmation bias of like oh we'll see they're not doing anything it's like well they're not doing anything because you're playing this guy with your worst players like why yeah. that's that's my argument too is that you're playing call and white with guys who are put in a checking line more defensive role or at least should be and Colin White's game isn't that. And I've seen, you know, the argument been made that he doesn't have the skills to play in the top six, but I beg to differ. Uh, some people rip on his shot. Uh, I don't know if they've seen his wrist shot, but he has actually a good wrist shot, especially when he has confidence. To end the season last year, in the nine games before the stoppage, he had eight points. And not all nine of those games were great, for sure. There were a couple games where he was like a minus one for the people who like to look for that. I mean, he was almost a point per game after coming back from injury in a season where he was really battling injuries for a lot of it. And so I think that it it sucks to see him go from a player who has so much confidence ending last season to now this season, he doesn't even crack opening night roster. He's getting replaced by guys like Anisimov and Paquette. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me, especially when he's a guy who should be a middle six center. And I remember when he signed that contract, everyone's like, oh, this is a steal. This guy, you know, he's going to be underpaid by like year three, four of that contract. And anyway, and I think that the coach hasn't put him in an opportunity or a position to succeed. And to see people start posting like what his buyout costs would be, I was like, oh my God. Man. It's not Colin White. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> Blows my it's, mind. It's, oh my God. And you just. I just want had one last point about going back to the Winnipeg game that we we dominated and then lost. Um, Cedric Paquette uh, was double shifted in the last five minutes. He took Nick Paul off of his line and was double shifted. Oh, boy. yeah. Oh boy. Um, that's. It's I feel like it. NHL coaches, like they just, they have the, the, they just, they have this inexplicable 
just like frothing at the mouth love for like veterans and like just like the idea <laughs> of like guys who have like played the most games and just like always leaning on them it's like you know all of our previous coaches have kind of done that too i mean like boucher he had his favorite guys who were analytically you know a liability was and- tom Pyatt even this bad like i know everybody keeps like i don't remember him being that bad but <laughs> he was like rough but i mean the team overall was like fairly was decent. also very rough um <laughs> stop uh <laughs> let's see in his last season here with ottawa he had two assists through 37 games He's but um in the year where we got to the playoffs he had uh 23 points in 82 games and he was well that a... that's more than um Cedric and Parquet has ever had, had. Yeah, and he had so. 35 takeaways and only 20 giveaways. So that's actually surprising. He wasn't great at faceoffs, though. And uh, possession wise, he was uh, pretty garbage, but <laughs> <laughs> he got the job done. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, every, uh, every coach has those guys. And I mean, I, uh, if I can spare one word for DJ Smith before we move on here. Um, I do want to say that, I mean, this is his second season coaching the Sens and the first one was already truncated. So like, he's still essentially a rookie coach. And I think I I'm willing to give the guy a bit of credit for two reasons. The first is that he's still obviously feeling things out and you are seeing instances of this, you know, much touted like accountability he's been preaching with the players. Like it might not always be like working out quite the way we imagine it, but I mean like listen, like Anisimov got burned for that OT winner and he sat the next game. It's like there are like there are consequences here and it's game four but for of, specific players. Yeah, I mean it's it's game four. I think uh I think we we owe it to him to give him a little bit more time to figure out where his players are best set up to succeed. And well like you know, the stuff that seems obvious to us watching, like, aren't always necessarily obvious when you're, like, living it, I suppose. So I'm willing to I'm willing to kind of wait and see with some of this stuff. I mean, I agree with everything that you've been saying. Um, but, uh, and then there's one other thing, too, uh, which is that if there's one reason more than anything else that leads to, you know, coaching changes in the NHL, it's failing to live up to expectations or failing to meet expectations. And the expectations for the Senators this season are non-existent. I mean, everybody paid us to finish in the bottom of the the division, and we probably will. Uh, you know, we might, you know, I mean, Vancouver's been pretty rough. If they can't put it together, we can probably pass Vancouver or Edmonton. But um, you know, it's no one really expects us to be a playoff team. So I don't think you know anyone's going to be. I don't think the organization has been coming down on DJ uh, for failing to, you know, be on the cusp of it this year. So I think he's got he's going to have some more leash left, and I think hopefully he takes that time to to start to really you know come to decisions on some of these players and figure out you know okay I mean like. He is a professional. I mean, like, we're sitting here talking about how rough Paquette has been. I mean, if after 10 games he's still deploying him the same way, then I'm going to have some actual questions about his judgment. But I think, you know, hopefully he can take some time from these first few games, start to figure out, you know, who are the guys he can actually rely on. Not like, not who he 
thinks he should rely on or who he like actually can rely on you know and i think uh there's probably there's probably some a disconnect there that has to get reconciled first what's nice though is i i, I don't know if you guys have listened to any dorian interviews in the past like month but he's actually brought up analytics which is very interesting because we always kind of imagine that this organization doesn't care about analytics or whatever and they probably don't have like a heavy analytics team they're you know like carolina who are very analytical with their uh players and whatever their prospects that they draft but it's nice to at least see the organization has accepted that they're looking at some analytics. I don't know what they're looking at, but hopefully that also decide, like helps them to decide who's going to be on the roster, whether that's long-term, whether that's being scratched for certain games or whatever, because the organization definitely needs like some sort of way to be like, okay, you know, this was a bad choice to play, you know, pocket, for example, like we shouldn't be playing him as many minutes. We should cut his ice time or scratch him. But anyway, um, let's get on to the next topic, which is the upcoming road trip that the Senators are going on. And uh, they play Winnipeg tomorrow night, a, a nice late game on a Saturday night. Um, then they play Vancouver three times in a row in Vancouver next week. And then they play Edmonton. And then Montreal, and then they come back home to play Montreal again. So they're playing what? What is that? One, two, three, seven games on the road here in the next two weeks. So prediction time, guys. They play once against the Jets, three times against the Canucks, and then they play twice against the Oilers and once against the Habs. What do you think this road trip's going to look like when all things are said and done here? I think we can take to Vancouver. They have been rough. <laughs> yeah. They're just allowing so many goals. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, honestly, if you look at Holtby's trajectory the last couple of years, it hasn't been great. Um, and Demko hasn't been, you know, beating worlds like he was in the playoffs. Um, but they've also had some some issues on the back end. Like I know uh last night they they had three players that played in the AHL on uh on their roster so um it'll be interesting uh it'll be interesting to see what what happens um but i think they'll come out uh after this this road trip a 500 team i don't want to say bold prediction but <laughs> i guess my expectations are, are kind of like i don't know man i think that winnipeg game uh, i i'm not sure if i think if strutzel is back in the lineup i think we have a chance at winning that game only because his energy and his speed that he provides uh just having him in the lineup i think that could be enough of a, a factor just like that little smidge to really give them the boost going into that game I think Vancouver, it's going to be a split. Either we go 2-1 or they go 2-1. Like, I think that one's kind of a split. Um, and then two games against the Oilers. I don't know, man. It'll be uh, interesting to see how they shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. Although Dreisaitl's kind of had a slow start to the season. It'll they be both have, really. Yeah, I mean, McDavid scored a hat-trick, like, in the second game. But yeah, I guess he hasn't... So did Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl had, like... 
Dreisaitl scored two or three in one game. Uh, I thought he only had like one goal in the season. He has a bunch of assists, so I will check right now. Yeah, I know because I have uh, him on my fantasy team. Oh my god! Yeah, he only <laughs> has one goal in the first five games. He just has five assists. Oh, okay, maybe I'm. Yeah, those. he's had a slower start, uh, goal scoring wise, to this season. Uh, but yeah, he's setting people up. Um, but yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see if they can shut those guys down. But uh, it'll really be uh, relying on that because I think Edmonton's goaltending is just like dumpster fire quality. <laughs> so um, yeah, but Koskinen had a good game. <laughs> Koskinen had a good game against the the Leafs, but. I, I I think that's kind of like a one in every five, ten games thing, not a consistent thing. So um I'll say maybe we split against the Oilers and then I think we lose against the Habs. And it pains me to say that, but they're just looking pretty dominant. So I th- I I guess we could go five hundred on this road trip. I guess that's not unrealistic. All right. I'll 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 seed that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bennett? What are you thinking? I do not think we come home above 500. Boo. Uh, Boo this I, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, we've had, we've had two great games. Uh, well, okay. We've had, you know, one and a half good games, and we've had two terrible games. That, to me, does not scream a 500 team. <laughs> and That's fair. I think, uh, you know, uh, and we're, get, we're losing to a Winnipeg team that is missing, you know, two of its better defenders at one of their best forwards. So uh, I'm not, I mean, again, I think Vancouver, we have a very good chance, uh, but I, I just have a feeling, I mean, Edmonton's goalies are really rough. Uh, so we could, we could make something happen there, but it pains me to say, we're just going to get fucking dunked on by the Habs. I just know it. I just, I feel, <laughs> I feel it in my bones. Like, oh, you know, when, you know, like people who like their joints ache before a storm or something, it's like, guys, like my, you know, I can feel it in my elbows. Like the- <laughs> if we're, if we're, um, if we're in those games, we're going to need Murray to step up. Yeah. Or Hogberg, whoever's in or Hog. I-, I want to see A-Hog. more Hogberg. I want, like, I want that, um, healthy competition. Um, and, you know, DJ Smith said yesterday in his file, like, you know, they they said, yeah, you know, we brought in Hogberg at the end just to uh, get him some some shots. And, you know, we haven't really had the opportunity to play him. And I was like, yes, yes, you have. <laughs> yeah, uh, they have. The coach. Really. Yeah, um, you can you can put him in whenever you want. <laughs> um, Not and, acceptable. Yeah. I mean, your first four games, you should have played your backup at least once. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have been good to go to him, honestly, on Thursday night. Um, that I don't blame the 4-1 loss on Murray specifically. Uh, there were a few players, more than a few players, who really didn't have good games. It was just mostly a bad game all around. But I still think that you go to him just to change it up. I mean, look at the Winnipeg Jets. That's what they did. I know they had a back-to-back against Toronto, but that wasn't really much travel. Like They could have played you know, Hellebuck back-to-back. So I think when you're playing against Boissois, fine, put in Murray because he is, uh, you know, he is our number one goalie, at least if you look at his pedigree. Uh, And then I think Thursday night, yeah, okay, they're coming back with Hellebuck. Fine, 
you don't maybe don't want to play your backup. But look at Hogberg's, you know, games last season. Even when he we were outmatched by superior competition, that dude kept us in games. He had a lot of overtime shootout losses, but I think that's just more on the team's skill set not translating to three on three or shootout, rather than being a reflection of how he's played. So I think Thursday night would have been a good night to get him in, and I think that he's got to, has to play at least one game against the Canucks, at least one. Otherwise, I will be like mad disappointed. Yeah, I th- I think he 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 needs to get a couple games in here. Uh, we all want to see Murray succeed, uh, and I mean like he there have been games where he's absolutely been let down by the people in front of him, but uh, I mean the expectation this year and just the general trend in the NHL is moving in the direction of more rotation, not less. Uh, you know, at a certain point, Hawkeye's got to get a look in just because, you know, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. And, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Murray started both of them at the beginning, I don't think that's going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, on that note, we'll just do a little plug before we move to our next topic. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We're most active on our Twitter, so uh, give us a follow there or reach out to us on Twitter if you have it, and we'll get back to you. And uh, yeah, uh, on that note, um, I guess we also are a podcast, so find us on Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, <laughs> and Anchor. Uh, if you're if you're you know listening to this in another another way, then I don't know you're. You obviously have some form of a communication that we're not privy to. So, um, uh, and uh, if you're liking our content, please give us a review because uh, reviews will help as well. Um, kind of give us a sense of what people want to hear from us or what they've heard from us so far that they like, dislike, things to work on, everything. It's all appreciated. And with that being said, we'll move on to our last topic. So, today, Pierre Lebrun tweeted out a list of over 10 teams that have been at least in some degree interested, whether just kind of interested or very interested in what the ask is on Pierre-Luc Dubois. And especially after Torts benched him for like two periods, I think that he's probably going to be out the door sooner rather than later. I see no point for Columbus to keep playing him uh, when he's just going to be a distraction. So, Not to mention potentially bringing down his value too. Exactly. And I think so one of the teams that was mentioned was was Ottawa. And of course, we've had this conversation, I think, a couple episodes ago about Pierre-Luc Dubois. And the, the ask would be quite a lot. And Pierre Lebrun followed that up by saying that it's not a futures only deal. Columbus would want it to be a hockey deal. So I think if you're the Senators, I, I kind of brought this up last time we talked about Dubois. I think it's going to cost you a roster player like Tierney or Connor Brown. Like it's going to be a player who can contribute to an NHL roster this season. Uh, Then you're going to have to add in a prospect. And I don't think Logan Brown would really cut it. I think it's going to be like a Norris or Brandstrom uh, who is going to have to be part of that package. And I think potentially um, like a, a first round pick uh, well, not even potentially. It's probably going to be like a first-round pick, Norris or Branstrom, and a roster player like Tierney or Conor Brown. It, it would be uh, a bit of a, a blockbuster for sure. Um, 
The only downside is because he's on an American team, any Canadian team that he'd be traded to, he'd have to quarantine for like two weeks or whatever before he could actually join that team. So it's definitely a riskier move to make if you're a Canadian team. And like, I, I know a lot of people have been trying to link him to the Habs because of course he's from Quebec, but I feel like that'd kind of be a detriment with how the Habs have been playing. Would they really want to part with, let's just say Kotkaniemi as part of the package because that's been the rumor. Well, if you are now scratching your second line, well, I shouldn't say scratching, but if you no longer have access to your second line center because you're waiting now on another guy to quarantine for X amount of time, well, Deneau is a serviceable top six forward. Like, I don't think he's your best solution, but I think he's a good solution for your top six in the meantime. But you want Dubois in your lineup as soon as possible. And so I think that that's also going to deter some Canadian teams. Like, I think if the price is right, they'll make the trade. But I feel like there's going to be some hesitancy for teams like Ottawa and Montreal to really want to do a deal like that. Same with Winnipeg, Calgary, because they've also been rumored to be interested. Like, you're going to have to remember that you're going to have him not playing in like six games potentially before you can get him in your lineup. So it's not only the ask of the assets, but it's going to be like, how many wins will you maybe be losing because of that trade? Which I think is an interesting uh, caveat that trades will have this season. Yeah. I just looking at, you know, some of the, the, um, some of the, the things that were put together. Uh, One of my buddies actually, proposed a three-way trade that I don't think could ever happen because of cap. But, you know, Pittsburgh uh, could be involved. And, you know, I, I heard they were looking for a defenseman. And I, I know of this perfectly well, uh, great contract, contract uh, Russian defenseman named Nikita Zaitsev. That would be oh boy. <laughs> um, okay. So they get, they get Zaitsev. Um, uh, Columbus gets Tierney, Connor Brown, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker. Oh, um, no. And, oh, actually, no, I think it's Logan Brown. Okay. Um, and a first. Uh, and then Ottawa gets uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Interesting. Sorry, so who, who goes to Columbus? It would be... Uh, Tierney, Logan Brown, Jacob Bernard Dark, Docker, and a first. Hmm. That's interesting. The only downside is I really like Connor Brown on this roster. No, I think I think that's... it's I think it's actually Logan Brown. Oh, instead of Connor Brown, so it'd be Logan yeah. Brown tyranny for okay, and then Zaitsev would go to Pittsburgh. Okay, so we're lo- we yeah. So you basically like lose two, at least this season, contributing players both offensively and defensively. Plus, you're losing Zaitsev who. I honestly, the contract, okay, I'd be fine with losing that only because I don't know if he'll actually be able to keep up what he's been playing. I mean, if he continues to impress, then okay, fine, I'll be a believer. But right now, I'm a, I'm kind of one of those, um, You're an doubting. interested skeptic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking on with you know much, much caution at, at the future, but. I mean that I think that trade like you could definitely swallow it if you're the senators. Yep. But at the same time, your team for the the like I said the two weeks that you're waiting for Pierre Luc Dubois to join alert your lineup. First of all, you don't know how he'll perform once he gets in the lineup like to start for the first few games. 
I know they're not trying to make the playoffs, but then you're also losing Tierney, Brown, um, that first round pick, which this year could be again a lottery pick, probably will be if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Um, yeah. I don't know. From Ottawa's perspective, it's hard. I think that they would probably be okay with giving up their 2022 first round pick because I think next year the expectation really is that the Senators are making the playoffs. See what it I'm saying. What what I've been saying is is like offer them Chris Tierney, you know, next year's first and the next year's after that, or yeah, because like we're gonna be a playoff team by then. Yeah, I think it's hard though because I, I don't know. Dorian's not he doesn't seem like the guy to make ballsy trades, but then he did make the Duchesne trade and he did make a Broussard trade twice. <laughs> so, um, although he, to me, he's always kind of seemed like a more cautious gem. He does break out those blockbusters when he thinks something can be done. So, I mean, it's possible. Um, I, I, I think a couple weeks ago when we talked about Dubois, I was a little more on the side of like, yeah, I think the Suns should trade for him right now. I'm more on the fence. Like, if it happens, I'll be excited. Like, I would probably be pissed if, like, Sanderson went back. Uh, but I don't I, think the I Senators... absolutely would not include Sanderson there. And No, and I wouldn't either. Like, I really like how Sanderson's been developing so far. But, so, like, if, if that trade happened, let's say, and Sanderson was a piece going to Columbus, I would definitely be upset initially. But I think Pierre-Luc Dubois, especially by the time, you know he gets chemistry with his line mates. It almost kind of be like Duchesne where the Duchesne deal in hindsight shouldn't have happened. Our team definitely misinterpreted where we were at uh, in trajectory to making the playoffs and being contender. But when Matt Duchesne was on fire in Ottawa and he was over point per game and just electrifying the offense, man, you, you can't tell me that you didn't enjoy watching him play, right? It made the trade definitely more palatable. At least in my opinion, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I was always a fan of Duchesne. I I like I've, I've said on this podcast previously. You know, I do not begrudge Dorian making that trade when he did. Like we just come off the 2017 run. You know, we'd done it with us with like a roster which wasn't super deep, and he went out and upgraded our top six in a big way, and he paid to do it. But it was like, well, shit we may as well go for it. And then it's not his fault to like, like the team blew up for a lot of reasons, which had nothing to do with acquiring Matt Duchesne and any, anything that we gave up to get it. Um, you know, that's uh there was a whole lot of other stuff going on under the surface, which led to everything blowing up. And, you know, he, he, he's, he thought, Hey, you know, having Carlson, having, uh, having stone that gives us a window and we better go for it. And, you know, it doesn't always work. And I mean, most teams that rebuild or, you know, the building towards a cup don't win a cup. That's just the reality of it. So you always got to go for it because most of the time you're going to fail anyway. So and just, I mean, and, and like, fucking send it. <laughs> and like, if you look at the Blue Jackets, for example, they lost, what was it? Panarin, Bobrovsky, Duchesne, Dezingle. They, they, they lost every star player. They went for it. They won one round, and then they lost like four star. Cal- well, sorry, Dzingel's not star caliber, but Duchesne exiting that playoff run was star caliber. Panarin star caliber. Bobrovsky again exiting that that run was star caliber player. And you lose four of those free agents who were contributors 
Like that's oof, that hurts. And, and I know, now they're like, probably going to lose Dubois too. I mean, yeah, like, exactly. Columbus basically just watched their window open and close within two seasons. Yeah, you know? which is I would I would say like they watched it open and close in like two months. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, that's that's probably even more accurate. You know, it's like that's how unforgiving this league can be. Um, and they got to get Seth Jones locked up. He's a free agent after next season. So they're going to have to lock him up. And uh, it's like if they lose yeah. Dubois and, you know, if if Jones looks around and says, I don't think this team is going anywhere, then, yeah, they're they're back to square one. It's, uh, sucks to suck, I guess. Yeah. So I guess we'll wait and see. See what uh, Mr. Pierre surprise trade man Dorian has in store. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, if we sign Pierre Luc Dubois, I will eat a Habs jersey on camera. Uh, something. I, I don't know. Probably like, die. So we'll have to choose <laughs> something a little less uh, toxic because I, eating just the crest of your rival will equal instant death. Yeah, just because what <laughs> I've heard is that like part of his frustration comes from playing in like a, a perceivingly smaller market, and like if that's part of his issue, then like there's no way it comes to Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's that's exactly it. Now I've heard uh, that that was just a rumor, and that's not exactly it. Um, that he might just be looking for a market that cares more about hockey, which is really any Canadian market or any market in a city like you know um, New York. Uh, I mean Boston, any of those big cities where players get a lot more attention. Um, so, um, yeah, but I think. If that's not an issue with him, then the Senators have a shot. But again, he's only signed through next season, so you have to make sure that this player is 100% willing to re-sign. And you have to make sure he likes the system, because I think a big reason why he wants out is he does not like Torts' system. No. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really the main issue. So, anyway... I guess it remains to be seen, but I think he's out of Columbus in the next two weeks. I can't see him really staying that long. Like that's even for me, I think that's giving him more time than I I expect. Like I think he should be gone before that, but yeah. Yeah. At the start of the season, I would have agreed with most people who are saying that he's gonna play out the season. Kind of like you mentioned before with the COVID and and like the protocols and everything, like you know, like if you get traded, like, yeah, like you can end up missing like 10 games or something, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, things have gotten worse since then. I mean, like, like benching your number one center for like two whole periods, basically. I mean, like it basically doesn't get any bigger of a slap in the face than that. Not saying that he didn't deserve it. I mean, if you guys saw that video of him just like faffing about on that one shift and then calling for a change, it's, yeah. it's so funny. I mean, like, I feel bad for the guy. Like, he's in a bad place. <laughs> he's not He's not getting on with the coach. Things aren't going right for him. But like, <laughs> my God. Uh. Just like watching him like slowly skating like a figure eight around the, around the thing, get easily brushed off the puck and then call for yeah. a change. Oh my Oof. god! <laughs> That's like, why Torts loves him, you know. Yeah, he's letting, like, he's letting him warm up the bench for the rest of the lads. Knowing everything that we know about John Tortorella, I'm amazed that he hasn't like launched this dude, like just <laughs> strapped him to a rocket and just launched him into like the stratosphere. Well, I love how too. Like, we'll we'll wrap it up here, but uh, 
Uh, I love how like two games ago, he he said something to the effect of, "I wasn't benching him." You'll know when I'm benching a player because he, you know, <laughs> benched him for a little bit, and then literally the next game he benches him for like two periods, and someone's like, "So was that you benching a player?" And then he said something to the effect of, "That's it." <laughs> uh, anyway, so pretty funny stuff, but he's kind of you know like a a tourist situation where player is just not happy in their situation and they want out change of scenery and. Hopefully he gets it soon because, I mean, it's funny drama, but uh, rough for both the player and the coach to be in this awkward situation and the rest of the locker room. But anyway, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to be doing, of course, another episode next week because we're going to be trying to see how the Senators have fared on the first half of their Western Oh, I was going to say Western Conference road trip. Oh my God, guys. They're, <laughs> they're technically out West opponents. There we go. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Later. See ya.